He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 15, 2022. My gosh, what a show. Let's jump right in. Tim Bussey is a top-notch lawyer down in Colorado Springs. He's got a military background. He was a prosecutor, but he caught a case, Patrick Rao. He killed a man on Wasatch in downtown Colorado Springs. Why did he kill him? Did he get away with it? Yes. It's Colorado's Make My Day Law. Wait till you hear the story of Patrick Rao as Tim Bussey leads us off in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. And then please listen to Kathy Redmond because in her own dwelling, a dorm room at the University of Nebraska in 1991, she got raped by a star football player, Christian Peter. The University of Nebraska tried to cover it up She fought for her rights, and she's still fighting. Wait till you hear her story about what happened in a place where she was supposed to be safe. Everybody should be safe in their own home. This is a special edition, a make-my-day edition. The Troubadour, he makes his usual solid contribution. Dave Gunders with his song, This American Dream, that starts with this line, Take this house, I'm done with it. Oh my gosh, if you get victimized in your own home, would you ever feel safe there again? That's why you have special rights as a homeowner. Here's our show, starting off with Tim Bussey in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets um, you know a lot of people you know they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs but then if somebody were to you know if you're if you were to pass away you know who's going to take your dogs who would who would love your dogs as much as you do i don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do but like i grew up with dogs and so if i were to pass away then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs so when you set up a pet trust you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time 
you have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. This is Tim. Tim, it's Craig. How Craig, are you? how are you? Well, not good. as good as you. I didn't win a big case in the Colorado Supreme Court this week. You did. <laughs> well, you know what? The next client really doesn't care. <laughs> I know. Tell everybody about yourself, Tim, um, what you do for a living and uh, how you came to be a lawyer eligible to be welcomed into Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Craig, and thanks for having me. I have been an attorney since 1991, and I became an attorney because I failed my eye exam. I was an ROTC uh, scholarship recipient. I was in college. Um, and, uh, my senior year, I flunked my eye exam. I had a pilot slot and they said, you're not going to be a pilot. So I ended up going to law school and, uh, served in the air force as a judge advocate, became a prosecutor here in El Paso and Teller County and have been in private practice since 1997. Who was your boss when you were a prosecutor? Uh, John Southers hired me. I know John well. Of course, he ended up working in Denver for a while as U.S. attorney, and he's been a guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge many times. Do you stay in touch? He's the Colorado Springs mayor. Does he give you referrals? Um, yeah, I see John, um, and we certainly catch up when we see each other. Um, when he was up in Denver, I didn't see as much of him, obviously. Now that I see him downtown, yeah, we bump into each other once in a while. We're still friendly. And uh, it's always good to see him. I'll tell you that downtown Denver is not near back to normal. What about downtown Colorado Springs? It is not back to normal. Um, I, I want to tell you it was feeling a little bit normal, you know, in the fall. Um, but, of course, we're going through this again. And, and I don't know if it will ever quite be the same, but... Um, there's just certainly less people. Uh, the good news is there's more parking spots. But, uh, yeah, it's a little bit different. How much of your practice is in the Springs and Teller County? El Paso I, and Teller, I should say. That judicial yeah, I, area. Yeah, the majority of my cases are here in El Paso County. But I have cases all throughout the state. So, you know, I've, I've tried, you know, I think it was a year or two ago, right before covid the year before COVID, I tried a case in Sawatch County, um, but I do go all over. But obviously, the majority of my cases are in El Paso County. I went to Colorado College. This case that you handled really hits home. Um, you do criminal defense of all types, but 
My goodness, when Patrick Rao got a hold of you, that's not a typical case, now is it? It's not. You know, I do represent, um, you know, Coloradoans that are accused of, of homicide cases. And when you get a person like Patrick Rao, and I'll, I'll describe him for you, Craig, so you can get a better idea. He's, he's not a large man. Very nice, soft-spoken. He wears glasses. Um, and he, you know, when something like this happens, it changes your world. And he is the type of person, he has a very serious girlfriend who's very nice, who's living with when this occurred. And, um, you know, what happened to us is in January, um, he went out just because his, his girlfriend said that she thought someone had broken in. And Patrick went down there and he had to arm himself because. Well, let, Craig, let, let's talk about this dwelling first because yeah. this really captured my attention. This show has a theme about Make My Day, which centers around a house or a dwelling. And that's an inter interesting distinction and a key to your case. But when I was a senior at Colorado College, I believe my address was 1120 North Weber, and it was an old house that was converted into four different units and perfect for a guy living on his own his senior year right off the CC campus. Isn't Wasatch the next street over in this house that uh, Mr. Rao occupied with his girlfriend? It was a house split into a number of units with the common basement area? Yeah, picture a, picture a, a Victorian home probably turn of the century, meaning 1900-ish, 1900-ish, right? And it's located, in, if you're familiar with Colorado Springs, it's it's off of Platt and Wasatch near the McDonald's there. And right right near downtown? Right near downtown. And so this was an old Victorian that had been broken up into essentially seven apartments. So everyone would have their own area with, with doors, but when you do that with an old Victorian home, Craig, you're going to have some, you know, interesting apartments and layouts and things like that. But yes, if you went to Colorado College, you probably lived in a home very similar to this. And of course, in college, you might have it where there's one common kitchen. Well, this house was, you know, an old Victorian that essentially had separate doors and they did share a laundry room in that in in that house but uh, other than that there were there were separate entrances for each apartment all right uh, now then, go back to the evening in question counselor and uh, what happened to patrick Rao? is he and his girlfriend were they in bed when this all started so she got up earlier and she went downstairs and when she went downstairs and i'll describe this so there's a back door into the Victorian that leads into a, a essentially a hallway that's stairs. And then if you were to walk straight ahead, when you came through the door, there's another door that goes into the basement. She noticed that it appeared that the, uh, someone had gotten through both doors and she believed that somebody was in the basement. So she went upstairs to, to talk to Patrick and Tell him, hey, I think somebody's down, somebody's broken into our home. And now, was so, there a history of break-ins or concern about yeah. that? 
there had been a history, and and this is an issue, Craig, because there's 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 a large amount of what many would call homeless people or unhomed people, um, and so Patrick had a history of you know difficulty, and, and not only Patrick but the other residents in the area where there was drug usage going on. You could see chips where people had tried to break in before or broken in. There was an uninhabited building that was outside that was being occupied at times by unhomed or homeless people. And if you were to call the police, you know, we were, we investigated and showed the late response times and the difficulties with getting police officers down there into that area in a timely manner. So it was an area, Craig, where I would not necessarily want a friend or family member to be living uh, in that type of situation. I had a wedding to go to at the Broadmoor, but I was early or for whatever reason, I had some time to kill. And I went downtown in Colorado Springs around their public library, which is a pretty magnificent building and structure. But it was frightening, uh, the amount of homeless people. and. Do I have that right? And is this close to that part of downtown? It is. If you were by the library, um, which is off of near the Bijou exit, I would say you're you're five blocks away from where this incident occurred. And honestly, as we argue about do Democrats or Republicans run cities better, John Southern's the Republican mayor down there, and they've had a history of Republican mayors. And then Denver, Boulder with its liberal politics. Yet, for me, and I love all three cities, I, I went to law school in Boulder. To me, I was more frightened being in downtown Colorado Springs than I would be in downtown Denver and downtown Boulder. Of course, that was a pre-pandemic observation. They're all a little more frightening now because, you know, the, the good you know, mainstream people aren't on the streets, but I'm sorry to interrupt, but it kind of paints a picture for me that this is a frightening area where if I lived within five blocks, I'd worry about homeless people, you know, getting in my place, right? Well, there was, and, um, you know, anyone listening can't see this, but there was no trespassing signs posted all throughout because it, it had been a problem. And the other tenants had noted that when we had spoken with them, that there had been a long, consistent history of this. One of the residents even, you know, recalled a time when they had broken into the laundry room and, in fact, had occupied the laundry room and they were having a hard time trying to get them out of there. So and when you say they, you're talking about homeless people. Uh, that's correct. Right. Presumably homeless people, folks that had decided that they were going to stay there. And so that was an incident that occurred prior to um, mm -hmm. uh, this incident with, with uh, Mr. Rao. So what happened that night? The, the, the woman, the girlfriend gets up, she alerts Patrick. He's yeah, the man she, in the relationship. What does he do? He went upstairs or she went upstairs and said, I believe someone's there. The basement does not have a lot of light. And so he put on a, a lamp set, you know, a headset with a light on it, and he took a revolver for protection. And he went downstairs, and um, he noticed that the, there had been 
what appeared to be some forced entry there. There was damage to the locks. The door was unlocked to the basement where it would typically be locked. He went down into the dark basement, um, and then he noticed in a small storage area in the basement where he believed to be someone sleeping. Um, that room is normally locked as well. The lock had been broken on that room. And to describe it, you know, it's a, it's a, if you were to look at an old Victorian home and go into the basement that's fairly unlit, uh, it's a dark, dingy basement. Um, it appears at some point that someone may have occupied there or lived there, but uh, there was odds and ends from, from the tenants that used it as storage. It appeared a furnace and uh, electrical type of things were down there. Patrick goes to the storage room and sees that there's somebody laying there sleeping. Um, he nudges the person and he notices what he believes to be a homeless person there. And he's trying to get the person out of his home. And after a few nudges, the person does arrive, does, does awake and goes to his knees and starts yelling and throwing things at, at, at Patrick. What kind of things? Any objects that were there, they were having a difficult time because there was a lot of um, miscellaneous objects there. And he was raising his voice at Patrick, and Patrick wasn't sure if he'd you know, gotten stood up or not. And Patrick was saying, you need to leave, and you need to leave now in ordering uh, the intruder to to leave his home. And as it played out, the intruder continued to act in an aggressive manner. He was throwing things, flailing things. At one point in his interview, Patrick r- referred to it as essentially like a, a tantrum, a temper tantrum. Did the person articulate any words? He was articulating words, but they were hard to hear. So Patrick couldn't necessarily decipher them. The neighbor above heard the commotion as well that lived in the apartment above. Patrick stated that he did not belong in there and needed to leave. And the aggressiveness continued. And at a certain point, Patrick said, I'm going to count to five. If you don't leave, I'm going to shoot. And the, the aggressiveness continued and the throwing objects continued. Patrick counted to five and fired one shot. And, you know, after that shot was fired, um, Patrick went upstairs. He waited for the police. He ran into his neighbor and said, please call the police. The police were called. They arrived at the scene. And again, this is, this is around probably 7 a.m. And um, Patrick cooperated with the police investigation. They told him he had a right to a lawyer and he said, no, thank you. No, he gave a full statement. Did he have a lawyer with him? He did not. He he left the gun out for them. He showed the gun that was used. He was polite and cooperative on scene. The police arrived. They went downstairs. He stayed at the scene for a short time, and then he was driven over in a patrol car over to the police station that's located in downtown Colorado Springs. There he went in and met with the police and he fully cooperated and answered all their questions. He was unrepresented and he told them what happened. And the man who got shot, what happened to him? He passed away. He died. What part of his body got shot? 
Um, I'm trying to remember what part. I think it was on the uh, left front of his body. In the match. Not, not a headshot, but. No, no, him. no. Yes, if I recall correctly, it was not a headshot. But one shot. Wow. One shot. And um, Patrick went back. He was interviewed and uh, uh, spent a lot of time with a, with a very seasoned homicide detective going through precisely what occurred. Was there a prosecutor there? There was not. I went through a situation like this where uh, the owner of House of Cards, I think it was about 10th and Broadway, had a homeless person come through the roof, and he stayed there regularly, and he told the guy to stop, kept advancing, same sort of thing, and he shot him, and I was the on-call deputy, went out there. He had an attorney, and we debated whether he was going to talk or not. I said, well... I'd like to hear what he has to say. And when I heard it, I said, we're not going to make an arrest. What happened with Mr. Rao? Um, with Mr. Rao, they ultimately you know, took a look at the case, took a look at the circumstances. And I can't remember if he was arrested that day or later, but he was subsequently arrested. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> he, they took it to a grand jury. Mm. I missed that part. So they went to a grand jury with the evidence that they had. And he was indicted on second-degree murder, heat of passion. That's fascinating. That's a pretty weak charge, yeah. showing the jury uh, felt bad for him. And I wasn't there, but a grand jury generally does what a prosecutor wants to be done. So he gets charged, and then he needs a lawyer, and he gets Tim Bussey. How did that come about? He was referred to me. He has... Um, you know, he has family members that were in law enforcement and they were asking who they should hire on a, on a case like this. And he was referred directly to me. And uh, I, you know, I spent time with him and uh, went through the difficult situation and really got to know him. He's really a good guy, um, hardworking guy, keeps to himself, very shy and not a man of many words. And, uh, you know, through the, I would through take the years him, of her. I, I would take him seriously, though, if he ever told me I'm going to count to five. I would I would say, well, I, I'm going to take this man, Patrick Rao, seriously when he says I'm going to count to five. Well, and, and, and he didn't wake up that morning looking to harm anybody. Um, he was in his 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 home, his dwelling. And he was afraid. And, uh, you know, one of the arguments, and, and we can talk about the arguments later, but if this were a single family dwelling, I don't know that there would have been ever any charges concerning no, this. No, there, there shouldn't have been. But, but, but this was a more nuanced situation. But I, I expect you went to your former colleagues or it was your office. It's, it's like me. I, I'm so far gone that there are few colleagues anymore. But the, the bottom line is I bet you tried to persuade the prosecutor's office Hey, there's make my day law in Colorado, and uh, why are we going through with this? Yeah, so the issue that came up was this make my day, and when 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 you hear the word make my day, a lot of people just think, hey, if there's an intruder in my house, I can shoot them, and it's 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 much more complicated than that. But certainly, the prosecutor knew that we were going to raise the make my day and the make my day is important because at the beginning of a case, 
it's not a defense. It's an immunity against prosecution, meaning you cannot be prosecuted if you meet the statute and go through all the elements of what the statute requires. It can be used as a defense later um, in front of a jury if you do not prevail at the pretrial stage. So, yeah, the prosecutor knew it was coming, and I think they believed based upon Colorado law that they were going to that, – that, that the make my day was not going to apply to Mr. Rao. Because they said it wasn't his house? Yeah, so there was a case called Cushenberry, and Cushenberry was a court of appeals case that had been around, I believe, since 1992. And in Cushenberry, it was a, a defendant attempted to assert the defense of, we'll refer to it as make my day. The Supreme Court now refers to it as force against an intruder. But in any event, the defense was, hey, this I, I want to assert make my day, and it was in the hallway of an apartment complex, an apartment building. And the court of appeals determined that a common area in an apartment complex is not part of a dwelling as defined for the make my day defense. Meaning you need to be in your own dwelling if you're going to assert this immunity against prosecution. And and because the Cushenberry case determined that a common area in a apartment complex did not meet the criteria that Mr. Rao would not be able to assert this defense because it was in the basement of an old Victorian home that had been subdivided into seven apartments. But you brilliantly pointed out, yes, it does apply. I believe there was a case involving a garage. You know, what can you do if you find an intruder in your garage? Uh, I think that was decided in in favor of the homeowner. But You gave the court good facts because that basement area had some common aspects, more like a home than the common area of an apartment. And besides, they said, Cushenberry, hey, that's just the Court of Appeals. That's not going to bind us, right? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. So what occurred was common areas are not a dwelling for purposes of make my day. The word dwelling is also used in burglary cases. So the prosecutor on burglary cases, and, and let me give you an example. Somebody breaks in to your garage, and it's an attached garage, and the word dwelling is used, okay? And dwelling is used in burglary statutes, so a creative defense attorney says, well, this was just an attached garage, It's not their actual habitat. It's just where they park their cars and store things. So it's not a dwelling for purposes of burglary. Therefore, you can't charge my guy with burglary. Well, there's a case called People v. Jimenez, which is a Supreme Court case from 1982 that says an attached garage is part of your use for habitation. Therefore, you can be charged with burglary. So what I did was, as I looked at burglary cases on how they define dwelling, and I find a case such as Jimenez, and I said, look, if you're going to find that an attached garage is a dwelling for purposes of habitation, then certainly the basement where Mr. Rao lived was part of his 
um, area for habitation and therefore part of his dwelling. So, Craig, what you get is you get the prosecutors on burglary cases arguing for a very expansive definition of dwelling. But in the case of Mr. Rao, they wanted a very restrictive part of dwelling, and they were relying upon the Cushenberry case to make that argument. Your argument was so good that you convinced every member of the Colorado Supreme Court, and it was written by Carlos Samora, former deputy DA in Denver, and uh, then a chief judge in the 18th JD. But now he's a powerful man on the Colorado Supreme Court, and he talked about the etymology of Make My Day, Clint Eastwood. It was actually, I think, the movie Sudden Impact. And he likes that apple analogy, and I bet you do. I sure do, because when I'm a defense attorney, or really in any aspect of my life, when I'm fighting for a client, I want several bites at the apple. And boy, the Make My Day statute, and I remember when that came in, it gives a defense attorney a chance to win by uh, talking to the prosecution. And then if they proceed, then you can put it before the court saying you get immunity. And if the court doesn't agree, then you can argue it to the jury. And if the jury doesn't agree, you can go back to the trial court and then you can go to the appellate court. It's an amazing law, this Make My Day statute. It's really almost unlike any other law in the arsenal of a defense attorney in Colorado, right? It is. And uh, to hit on a few points, first of all, I, you know, I, I remember speaking, I believe it was with actually Justice some more during the oral arguments. And I told him I did not like the make my day way that we phrase this because it's really not correct. And the reason is, is because if you remember the Dirty Harry movie, uh, he's saying, go ahead, make my day. And he was, in fact, daring the person to give him an excuse to shoot, whereas the make my day is really a home protection bill. And so <clears throat> when that passed, it was really designed to allow homeowners to defend their homes and, in fact, used use deadly force um, if it met the criteria for the statute. As far as the you know different bites of the apple analogy, there is a process and you're absolutely correct. You can, it's, it's rare to have the ability to go before a judge in a pretrial manner before, before the case proceeds to trial and say, judge, we are asserting this immunity against prosecution. This is under uh, the home protection uh, bill and it's commonly referred to as make my day. And I think those words are gonna be used for years to come despite this decision. And you're allowed to have the judge make a determination concerning that. And that's what occurred with Mr. Rao's case. We presented, it was, it was um, several days of, of testimony going through the case. And the uh, district court judge made the decision that this did fall under the immunity and dismissed the action against Mr. Rao. And that led to years of appeals by the uh, prosecutor. Now, there's one aspect that you know and I know and criminal practitioners in, in the legal field know, but a burglary is different than a robbery. It's kind of foolish for people to say that house got robbed. A house doesn't get robbed. People get robbed. A house gets burglarized. God willing, nobody's home because it's dangerous if somebody's home. But to make it a burglary as opposed to a trespass, 
you need to show that the person, once they intruded into your space, had an intent to commit another crime. With the Make My Day statute, you have to show that somebody has intruded in your house and that they're going to commit another crime. Do I have that right, Tim? You do. You do. You have to go through the steps on that. And it's it's one of the one of the parts that people seem to forget. And I think you just explained it very well. There is a specific um, uh, analysis that one has to go through. And I'm going to summarize the statute as quickly as I can. So first, you have to be an occupant of the dwelling and you're justified in using any degree of force to include deadly force. When the other person has made an unlawful entry, so number one is there has to be an unlawful entry, and the occupant has a reasonable belief that such other person has committed a crime in the dwelling or is committing or intends to commit a crime against a person or property in addition to the uninvited entry. So, Craig, the uninvited entry isn't enough. There has to be a reasonable belief that the person intruding is committing another crime or is committing or intends to do another crime. And lastly, when the occupant reasonably believes that such other person might use any physical force. So one of the essential elements is, is there perhaps could be a, a threat of any physical force, no matter how slight against an occupant. If you don't meet that criteria, you don't, you're not eligible for the uh, immunity and, and, and subsequent defense of the force against intruders statute. So what did you argue? What was the further crime this homeless guy was going to do? Yeah, so there was there was multiple crimes. There was the fact is is that there was criminal mischief which is damage to property because there was some damage that was there. Uh, one of the important ones was drug usage. There was drug paraphernalia. Mr. Rao told the officer that he believed that the person was under the influence of drugs. He had experience with finding drugs and syringes around there as well as potential assault, harassment. There was an additional city trespass statute that relied upon. So there was numerous additional crimes um, that, that um, you know, we asserted to the court and the court accepted. As a matter of fact, they, they, the, the fact that there was, you know, drug paraphernalia that was found there along with some phones and some other things, um, that really did not become a large issue in Mr. Rouse's case. But did the autopsy reveal drugs in the system? Do you know? Yes, it did. What do you know about this uh, guy who got shot? Um, the person who, who was shot as part of this had a long criminal history. Um, there was a knife that was found near him, drug paraphernalia as well. Um, and the, 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 the history I'm not going to go into, but there, there was a prior criminal history. Does Mr. Rao have to worry about any civil litigation against him? Have you heard about that? Not to my knowledge, no. How did Mr. Rao react to the Supreme Court victory? He won in the trial court a while ago, but I imagine it was hanging over his head. If the Supreme Court ruled a different way, could he have been put on trial? Yeah, so first of all, he was... He was very pleased with the ruling. It was a very emotional time for him. And um, he carried the weight of this for a long time. It was very stressful for him. And he was certainly pleased um, with the analysis from the Supreme Court. Um, I'm not aware of any, any um, uh, 
What was your second question? No, I was just wondering about uh, Patrick. I was wondering if they could have retried him. I mean, Jeopardy only yeah. attaches when they swear in a jury. So if the Supreme Court would have reversed the trial court's dismissal, then would Mr. Rao have had to come back and face a jury trial, correct? That was that was going to be um, more briefs that were going to need to be written concerning that because we had argued to the Court of Appeals that Jeopardy had attached um, at the hearing for immunity and the judge had dismissed the action. It's an unusual um, procedural part of our law when you have an immunity against prosecution. And it was our position that, that he had been acquitted when the judge found that all the elements of <clears throat> the statute is 18-1-704.5. So we treated that as an acquittal. Mm -hmm. And the the Court of Appeals um, um, ruled in our favor on behalf of another issue. We did not prevail on that issue, but of course we won on another issue, and that was not an issue that was accepted by the Supreme Court when it went up to the Supreme Court. So to, the short answer to your question is we were going to have a fight over that as to whether or not he could be recharged on that. Gosh, what an ordeal. Does Patrick Rao second-guess himself? I mean, if somebody uh, uh, said, you're a hero to the gun rights movement, we want you to be our spokesperson, would he do it? Or did this turn him off to guns? Um, I don't know if it turned him off to guns, but I'll tell you, he's a very gentle soul. And he is he is wanting to, to, to move on with his life and as I said earlier, and I'll say again, he didn't wake up in the morning wanting to harm anybody. And the fact is, is that the person he shot put him in a very difficult position at the time. And it only escalated when he went down there. And I'm pleased that he has been exonerated on this and he can live his life without carrying this. Well, I don't know about that decision in the basement. That can be second-guessed all day long, and it has been. But when I was a prosecutor, and you were too, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he did the wrong thing, that's pretty tough. But a good deliberate decision by Patrick Rao was uh, hiring Tim Bussey. You were great. Congratulations again. And I made a good decision inviting you on. Thanks, Craig. I appreciate it. It was nice catching up with you again. Nice catching up with you. Thanks, Tim. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep, hey, maybe you know my voice and me from the first half of my career when I was Denver prosecutor. Or maybe you know me from my time on the radio and now on my podcast. But my real job for several decades now has been to fight in the civil arena for victims of crimes. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. If your life has been damaged through the misconduct of others, there's a great new Colorado law, and it's for you. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960, to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Let's expose the truth. Let's get you some justice. Let me be your voice for a confidential consultation. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Gosh, 
It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Greg Silverman Show. Hello there. Hey, Kathy Redmond. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for doing my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are you all settled in? I am so settled in. How about you? <laughs> yes, I am. I had time to spare. It was perfect timing. Wonderful. Yeah. I was trying to remember how we met. Sheesh. Was it I was it around the time of Kobe Bryant is what I want to say? That could be. Yes. Or We're, it's uh, or it's Desiree Washington. Perhaps. I mean with uh, Parish with Parish Cox. Which that's something I want to talk about because of um, the Douglas County jury and that and what they said. Yes, I represented the victim in that case. Yeah, as I'm yeah, I remember. Yes, yeah, you and I, you and I talked, and I was working with the detective prior to all of that. Fascinating. The Lone Tree Detective, the female. Yes. Yes. Yep. She was wonderful. Awesome. Awesome. And she didn't give up. I mean, and there are some of those cases, even with. uh, CU, where Bane Kerr, who used to be at HBC Boulder and sometimes does some work, um, in one of the cases, he actually filed a lawsuit against the DA down here in Douglas County um, because they did not charge. And he actually got it reversed and they ended up charging. I know Bane Kerr. I know his partner, Kim Holt. I know that yep. law firm. I know the field. Yep. And I know you, Kathy Redmond. Tell everybody your life's work. I know you're a mother, you're a dog owner, I do believe, and you're a lot of things. But what's been your life's work? Um, my life's work has been um, advocacy for victims of sexual assault and domestic violence, especially when it deals with high profile perpetrators. Um, so normally it's, um, for me, my beginnings were surrounding athletes because I was uh, raped at the University of Nebraska by uh, a football player who would become the captain of their national championship team um, and, uh, and who would go on to rape others, including um, Natalie, or I shouldn't say rape, would go on to sexually assault others, including um, Natalie Tisdall and um, uh, here here in Denver. So um, 
started out with with athletes and and of course just the power dynamics involved um with regard to athletes and people of status um so it's brought me into working with the MLB working with the New England Patriots doing some work here and there with the NFL um and a number of uh of college teams and so you, you are a, a front range lady am i right you grew up here yes tell everybody yes i yeah i went to uh columbine high school and uh, except for the uh the time before i was 10 years old and my brief stint in lincoln going to school at nebraska i have been here in um in either littleton lakewood or castle rock for the rest of my life so yeah, you're like me. I went away for my freshman year. Of course, I didn't have a great experience. It toughened me up. And nothing traumatic like what you experienced in Lincoln. Mm -hmm. You were just a freshman. I feel right. so bad for you. And it happened right at the beginning of your school year. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, it was, uh, you know, I think parents believe that they have somehow prepared their kids for this. I think parents believe like my parents wanted me to remain in the dorms because it was safer. And little did they know how very unsafe it was. Um, and so it was um, a really a difficult time in dealing with the predator. So here I was you know, naive Columbine graduate skipping off to Nebraska to where my parents went to school and my dad played baseball and my grandmother's runzas um, were sold in the stadiums and all over the state. And um, where I knew people like Tom Osborne. And, and so for them and for me, it was going to an area of safety. Um, that's not necessarily how it went. Now, and we all so, know Tom Osborne because he was uh -huh. a famous football coach. He went on to be in Congress representing Nebraska. Um, right. But when you say you you knew Tom Osborne, are you just saying the way most people know Tom Osborne, or did you actually know the man? Um, we had had brief introductions prior to me being there, but I knew... Uh, my dad's old baseball trainer, George Sullivan, was still there. So whenever we'd go to Nebraska, my dad would take me over to the um, the athletic center that was there in the stadium, and we would go and talk to the the trainer and see the guys and say hello. And um, the interesting part about what happened to me at Nebraska with regard to, to football was, and I didn't expect it, and I didn't find this out until way later. Um, and it's it's something that that um, I just find extraordinary. my My accusations of rape, it divided the football coaches. Um, and it created a real problem for Osborne at that time. And at that time was Lawrence Phillips, all these other people. Um, yeah, it's an it amazing time for people who don't follow football. Nebraska has kind of come on hard times lately, but they were great back then. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, yes. you know, with regard to the name of the perpetrator or anybody involved, Tom Osborne, and the details of what happened, 
it's up to you to tell us as much or as little as you want. Well, but this sure. became a big deal because uh, you've become so involved with Title IX, and uh, yes. people yes. just want to know as as much or as little as you want to say about <laughs> what happened to you. Right. Um, so, yes, what it was was um, the the first night. So I was raped twice in one weekend. And a lot of people go, how on earth does that happen? You know, it, it immediately gets the brain going to what did you do? Um, and the first night I was actually lured. Um, and I didn't know anybody there on campus, really. And um, so I met some some women. I followed all of the steps, right? So I was in a female dorm. Remember that it, uh, it is secured at midnight by guards at the, on the first floor. So I was in an all-woman's dorm. And some women asked me to go over to the, the guys' dorm because they knew some people there from their hometowns. And in Nebraska, everybody, really everybody goes to Nebraska that's in Nebraska. Um, so I was up there talking in the TV lounge with these girls and with whoever was up there. And um, there was this very large guy in there. And at the time, he was, what, 350 pounds, I think about six foot three. Um, I'm arguably five, two. So, um, but what I was told was, Hey, go see Christian's room. And they're talking about Christian Peter. Um, and, um, I said, why? And they said, no, you've got to go, go check out his room. He has the coolest room. And I said, why? And they, they started like getting more descriptive and they said, um, well, he has a gas grill. And I specifically remembered looking at our handbook that you could not have gas grills. I don't know why that stuck with me, but it did. And so I went down. I went down to his room. Um, the door shut behind me. It was dark. There were only boxes in his room. Nothing was really unpacked. Um, and I got into a conversation with him. It was one of those things, and I talked to, to women about this. It was one of those things where I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble, but I didn't know what to do at the time. I didn't want, what if I was wrong? I didn't want to scream and cause, you know, whatever attention and all of that stuff um, and be thought of as dramatic. Um, so I did what I generally try to do best, which is talk my way out of it. And that didn't work. And um, he had backed me up against a wall. I was wearing a skirt. And um, I was raped then. So instead of going out and running down the hall and screaming everything that happened, um, I, of course, thought it was me to blame. You know, I did this. I came down here. Um, it really wasn't him. Kathy, you were stupid. And um, I felt embarrassed, so I went down the, um, the back stairs, which was about 10 floors. Went back to my room, and uh, the next day, I was hanging out with friends, and um, it was late. It was late at night in my own dorm, so it was about 2 in the morning. Um, and I heard a knock on the door, and I thought it was one of the girls on my floor. And it was him, and he had brought two friends. And um, 
I said, what are you doing here? And he said they had just gotten back from a bar. And I said, how did you get up here? And he said that they pushed past the security guards. Now, the two friends, one was a wrestler and the other one was another football player. Um, they walked into my room and um, I told them that they needed to leave. Well, Christian pulled up a chair and he sat in the middle of the, uh, the dorm room and there was a power outage. Um, oh, wait, before that, he sat in the middle and he exposed himself. So, so I didn't have to see it. I went to the other side of the room, which was furthest from the door, which was another mistake that I made. Um, and then there was a power outage. And somehow I ended up on the floor. The wrestler stood guard at the door. The football player went up on my loft bed. He was watching. Um, and I was raped again there. And uh, he got up and left and the other football player came down from the loft bed and I pulled myself up on the chair, pulled my pants up, my shorts, um, they're button fly shorts. And, um, and I was crying and he at first started rubbing my thigh and saying, um, you're so cute. And I begged him, I said, please, I said, please, please leave. I'm so humiliated and embarrassed. Please don't do this. And um, he had like this moment of awakening, I guess. And he looked at me, he saw me crying and he said, I'm so sorry, no one should have had to go through this. And he walked out the door. And um, the, the funny thing, the ironic thing about that is uh, I had a Nebraska football t-shirt that was on my, my little dresser by the door. And wouldn't you know, that was the one thing that they asked to take from me. And I told him to take it. Um, so that all happened. And I, I, I believe uh, because of how it all went down, had he not returned the next day, I would have said nothing. But it was how violent it was. It was how intrusive it was. It was the fact that, you know, it, I was, um, I couldn't leave. There was nothing I could do. Um, it was more than just being manipulated. It was being taken over. And, um, and so from that, um, I, I tried to block it out. I didn't report immediately, which is what most victims do. Um, but then I started hearing stories about the guy more and more, um, which is then how I end up meeting Natalie Tisdall uh, there in Lincoln in a, uh, in a journalism class. And it, it's interesting, we were watching the O.J. Simpson slow-speed car chase. Now, time and out. I said, I, can I just break in for one second to say that what you are saying is so powerful, and I am so sorry for what happened to you. And Natalie Tisdall is a familiar name. Wasn't she yep. in Denver Media? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, Fox 31 and uh, Channel 2. Yep. And is it okay with her for you to talk about this? I'm sure. Well, she she has talked about it often before. Mm -hmm. She and I have done, um, we've done documentaries before together. I shouldn't say okay. documentaries. We're supposed to be doing a documentary, but we've done like 48 hours and that kind of thing. It's um, it's public. I mean, if you look it up, it's public. Okay. Well, I, I'm... 
I thought I knew you, but I've never heard anybody give you the opportunity to speak this through, including myself, and thank you for doing it. And I'm sorry to mm-hmm. interrupt, but I, I think a lot of people are saying, Natalie Tisdall, I know her. Where do I know her from? Right. Yeah, right. Fox 31. Right. Yep. Go ahead. Yep. And, and, what and year, um, what year are we talking about when you and Christian Peter had this horrible encounter where he victimized you? And, um, and that it was 1991. 91. It would take me a while to report anything. And interestingly enough, the campus police had heard that it happened. So um, word of mouth kind of spread and, uh, and they had heard that it happened. And then um, I was playing lacrosse and um one of the, the campus police officers was on the guys team or club team or whatever. And um, so one of my friends went up to him and said, hey, this happened to Kathy. And he approached me and said, that was you? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, Can, do you want to go and make a report? And um, And so I did. And one of the uh, one of the issues that I that I have, um, even to this day in the state of Nebraska and it's in other uh, states, is um, sunshine laws and FOIAs and victims who are not able to access their police report. Because when I was finally able to access it, and it was because I had filed a Title IX lawsuit. Um, this was. Uh, in 1995, I filed it. And when I finally was able to get my hands on the police report, much of it was not what I had said. Um, I'm so sorry so, this happened to you. And it, it happened in your dorm room, that second right. incident. And it, you had you were alone in your dorm room? It was that kind yeah. of setup? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how I, did in, not how have, invasive. I did not have a roommate. Yeah, I'm just thinking about make my well, day laws and you would have had a right with an intruder doing that to use right. deadly force. Well, and, and, um, I had people on my floor who heard things happening, um, but they didn't know what it was and they didn't, they didn't investigate anything. Um, and so that bothered me that they knew something was going on, but they said nothing. Um, and yeah, it was so intrusive. It got to the point that I never wanted to be in my dorm room. I can imagine. I truly did not. Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I mean, I can envision the whole thing even now. And it was about uh, almost 10 years ago that I went back to Lincoln and I went into my dorm room. And it is exactly the same. Exactly to a T the same. And um to walk in was really, I didn't expect to have the emotional reaction that I did because, I mean, I've talked about this. I've done shows about this. Um, you know, I almost do it by rote. But walking in was just, it, it was one of those very emotional experiences. And I, it, it's really weird to explain. It's weird to describe. But I could see everything happening. 
it's like I I entered, I walked into my dorm room, and it was so much the same that I saw it all happen. Like it was like a flashback again. Um, and so for me, it I was hoping to go there and heal, and I believe that I kind of did with that. But um, you know, it's it's what I want people that listen to your show to understand. Um, or, or have them re have it be reinforced is that it doesn't go away. You know, you, you hear as a, a victim and I still, I use the term victim because it's a law enforcement term. I do not use the term survivor. Um, but with a, a trauma like that alters your DNA, that's how pervasive and invasive it is. It alters your DNA. And when you hear people that say, well, you need to move on. Well, you need to move on. And you hear it all the time. Um, you incorporate it into your life to just kind of suppress it or act like it didn't exist or not deal with whatever new thing comes up in your life that triggers something from back there. It's always kind of with you. And, um, and, and you have to learn to, to live with it and incorporate it into your life to where it's, um, it's there and you acknowledge it and you identify with it um, and you call it out when it, it comes back up. Um, so I, I, for a lot of people who might be listening that are that are victims of sexual abuse or, or have kids who have been abused or loved ones, whomever. Um, you know, I think that that's something that we, we never, we always hear from other people what we should be doing. And there's a great book out called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about physiologically what your body does to retain all of that trauma how it processes all of that trauma and what it does with it so that, because a lot of times you hear victims that will say, oh my gosh, I, did, I, I thought I was done with that. I don't even remember that happening, but my, my leg hurts. It's like all of these connections that, that physiologically happen um, and, and we can't explain it. We can't explain the why, you know, all right. of a sudden I was asleep and I have this and, um, but it's, it's what your body does to survive. It's what your body does to try to heal. And would you agree um, that no two people react quite the same way, but as I listen oh, to no. your story, I could completely understand why you would want to bottle it up. And it was only when oh, the yeah. guard said you were that woman, it's, it's a tough thing, and a lot of women, uh, young teenagers, they, oh, yeah. they bottle it up. I'm so glad yep. there's a new Colorado law allowing in 2022 for people to reach back in time, and if they have the case to let a lawyer like me prove it in a court of law, and they don't get the benefit of having done it and with the understanding mm -hmm. that a lot of women just bottle this up. Well, yeah, but but we have to look at it as women. We've it's been normalized for so long. 
that kind of behavior has been normalized. And now um, with, with porn, with all of those things that are so easily accessed, we have a very warped view of women and a warped view of sex in this country and um, a really warped view of power and status. And there's... And for, it, is, for, it, it is about power. Um, oh, that, it's absolutely about power. Look, look what that asshole Christian Peter did to you. I mean, he was exercising power, plus he's a pervert. He's getting turned on by making you feel bad. And that's really a dangerous combination. It's authoritarianism, and I, I love going after rapists. I really do, but... <laughs> I think you do, too, and you've taken the power back, Kathy. You've taken it back. When you went back to Nebraska yeah. in your dorm room and the way you've testified, the way you've—your advocacy, I'm proud of you because you've taken Thank the you. power back. Yeah, and, well, and I think the hard thing, the difficult thing for me was— the pain that it would cause my family. That would that was my biggest struggle. So here I am at the time. You've got this legendary coach. You've got this feverish fan base. Um I did when I came forward, I did have my car windows bashed in. I had my car tires slashed. Um it wasn't safe for me. And but at 18, I knew that it would not be safe for me. And I, I was 18 years old. I had just turned 18 years old. Um, Christian Peters, so, a star lineman on Nebraska. They were probably close to top rank. Tom Osborne's the head coach. Did right. he become aware of it? Did the football team cover it up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that's why... Looking, looking at the whole thing, <laughs> and there, there are all of these connections that I have to make. The power came back, and I had this conversation before uh, with him. The power came back when Robert Kraft became the owner of the New England Patriots and drafted Christian Peter, then found out about his rap sheet and this lawsuit and cut him in three days, the only player in history. And in talking to Robert Kraft about that, he said that he received phone calls from a number of NFL owners, and he had just owned the Patriots for one year. Like, he was brand new. Um, numbers of owners called him, Tom Osborne called him, urging him not to set that precedent. Do not cut a player for off-the-field stuff like this. And he did it anyway. And Myra, um, may her memory be a blessing, Myra Kraft was uh, a key player in that as well. Myra so, Kraft, the longtime wife of Robert Kraft, they had a beautiful yes. marriage. He yes. was made money owning Gillette, am I right? Or something. No, he oh, no. it's a paper a paper company. And it was first Myra Myra's dad's paper company oh, okay. there in Boston. Right, it's um, Gillette then, Stadium. That's what I'm right. It about. is right. Gillette Stadium. And um and it's interesting with the Patriots, the Gillette Stadium is and that whole area around it is privately owned by the crafts. 
So even <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing to me, even uh, when they need the stadium to clear the parking lot or the, the stadium parking lot cleared during snow or whatever. That is, it's private by the crafts. It's not the city that comes in to do that. But anyway. Uh, well, no, but, but let's not leave the crafts just yet. And then we'll circle back. That's the sure. beauty of this podcast. You are such an amazing guest. But I didn't know Myra Kraft, but I heard about her. And she was a nice Jewish woman. And you said the right yes. words. May her memory be for a blessing. And Kraft, too. But it was yes. a little bit of a shonda after that long marriage while he was widowed. He went to a massage parlor, and uh, right. there were allegations of this and that. And now everybody's wondering, what does Kathy Redmond think about that? Um, I look at that, and I was able to um, to get, I think, a little bit more detail than others um, with regard to that. When, when Remember, when it was first reported, it was alleged that it was uh, trafficked women. That's what had me upset, was that uh, it was alleged that it was trafficked women, and I was extremely concerned about that. Um, however, it was obviously not. So, so yep. you found out that Robert Kraft was not yeah. involved with trafficked women? It was non-trafficked right. women? Right. It was consensual. The woman was like 50-something years old. Her, She's married. Her husband knows this is what she does. You know, so my concern was the abuse part. That's where, that was my concern. Um, isn't, so, isn't that always the case? I mean, look, as a prosecutor, first thing you do, you prosecute DUIs. And people think, well, uh-oh, I drink, so am I there right. but for the grace of God? But no, it's a different thing. It's somebody who really drinks way too much and then drives. It's at a level. Right. And so nobody's saying you can't have consensual this or that go ahead it's when it's non-consensual mm -hmm. and and right. it's pretty and, and, it's a pretty bright line most of the time yeah and that and that was the for me that was the um that was the concern i needed to hear more and you know I, um he he is somebody that like i said i consult with the patriots i have a great relationship with them um, it's not saying that I haven't walked away from teams where I've had a great relationship over a disagreement. Um, I have a few of those, but, um, but, you know, when I was able to dig into that and to hear everything and it wasn't anyone trafficked and I was like, okay, well, it's, it's not ideal. It was not my favorite thing. Um, but at the same time, he, what I what I do appreciate, um, and like I said, I've worked with a number of teams. What I appreciate is um, they don't the the Patriots themselves do not hesitate on cutting somebody who has abused women. They do not hesitate. They will pull them down from the draft. They will ever since that time. And I had Robert Kraft say to me directly. I could not imagine, and this was prior to Aaron Hernandez, I cannot imagine bringing someone into my town 
where they end up hurting the people in my town. And that's why I think Aaron Hernandez just absolutely gutted him. And if you look at how they reacted to that um, with turn in his jersey, we'll replace the jersey. There was a very clean um, cut between the two of them. And I've seen enough of this in football to know that, yeah, all you have to do really is look at somebody like Urban Meyer at the University of Florida during that time where they had a hundred arrests and they shielded these guys from accountability. So of course, Aaron Hernandez is going to head up to New England with a clean record. But they did and have the, Tim Tebow to counterbalance that. Right. Yeah. Which I, oh man, don't even get me started there. Oh, I don't go ahead. I <laughs> let loose. I, I, as a, we had this discussion earlier, um, as a Christian woman, um, who is, is very sensitive right now to all the things going on in Christendom, um, Having somebody like Tim Tebow on that team as a leader of that team and having him still not saying a single word about the abuse of women on that team, about the murderers on that team, the corruption of that team is dumbfounding to me. But it tells you how insidious, again, I use that word, um, violence against women is and the locker room culture is within sports. Um, Very few people stood up to my rapist in the locker room. There was one that did. um, And that, (laughs) and I'm, I'm proud of this. That was now Hall of Famer Will Shields. Um, And in fact, he went to the coaches and he said, I know this girl. She is not lying. She would not lie about this. Nice. And which that's exactly what you need. If you want to change a culture, you give a few people a soapbox and empower them to do that. You see that with Liz Cheney right now. Well, we're going to get to politics, but let's not leave (laughs) Christian Peter, because after you got to Robert Kraft, really Myra Kraft gets credit for it. uh, Then he he gets let go by New England and yet he played for the Giants and he played for some other teams. Did, right. did that and piss you off? No, what no. Well, I uh, let me let me dig back into my memory. Um when New England kicked him out, I felt I was on cloud nine. I felt finally empowered. And when when Myra Kraft passed, that was one of the um Uh, when the media called me about her passing, I was very clear about that. I had felt that I was getting, as you know, beaten up in this court system. I felt like I was taking on a massive giant. Um, Where did you sue? You you had a lawsuit going in Nebraska? Yeah, a Title IX suit. I was the first to ever file a Title IX suit alleging rape. And when I look up Christian Peters' Wikipedia page, it talks about him groping Natalie Kuchvinhoven. Is that Natalie Tisdale? That's Natalie Tisdale. That's Natalie Tisdale. Wow. Try pronouncing 
Is that that's her Kuyvenhoven. real name? Kuyvenhoven. 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 She's Kuyvenhoven. Dutch. Kuyvenhoven. K U I J V E N H O V E N. She was a former Miss Nebraska, and Peter uh-huh. uh, sexually groped her in a crowded bar. Yes. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, she has a, a last name that uh, Betty White on Golden Girls would have pronounced perfectly. Um, but yeah, she, um, we, the, and that's how we met was in journalism class and it was a summer course. I mean, what are the odds? And we met in journalism class and, um, we were watching the OJ, uh, slow speed car chase. And I said, one day that's going to be Christian Peter. And she whipped around at me and she said, what do you know about him? And it happened. Were you watching the NBA game when they broke in? Um, it was, I think, Houston versus New York, if I remember. I, you know what? I don't remember chase. that part, but it was we, it was uh, literally a broadcasting class that we were in. She and wow. I were both in it. And um, it was like eight of us. It, this was how random is that? Um, <laughs> and how but, many other uh, women? My God! <laughs> yeah, they, there were there were a ton, and they didn't want to speak, and they and they found out other women from his high school. Um. So it. So again, that's it. It isn't. But before we go any further, and that's why I love yeah. going after these sons of bitches, is because they don't stop. I mean, they've got no. Really, they don't. So. No. You were right. The recidivism rate is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, they're turned on by the wrong thing. Yeah, it's it's an addiction. It's an addiction, and they get better and better at it, and they they groom, and they groom well. Um, and so, yeah. So um, she and I are watching this, and uh, she confronts me about it, and and um. From then on, she was she and I were were buddies. We were very tight. And um, as more women kind of came forward and helped out and got involved in the case, um, I mean, it, how like is I said, uh, it was, you know? I'm so old. I I have a good feeling about Natalie. I feel like we interacted at some point. But how is she? Where is she? Oh, she's still here in she's here in um, Lone Tree. And uh, she is not doing news anymore. She does her own podcast. Nice. And um, yeah, yeah, she's really, she's a lovely person. You know, she is humble Nebraska and and um, knew right from wrong. And that was definitely wrong. One of the things that I admired about her um, and I and I envied about her is that once it happened, she went directly to the police. Like she just knew it was absolutely the wrong thing. There was no waffling, but she also had the stature, the status to be able to do that. Um, but it, because, it was because, no she, because she was Miss Nebraska. Because she was Miss Nebraska. Yep, absolutely. Um, but uh, but that's yeah. I mean, I could see her doing did that. Christian Peter was Peter drunk when he did all these things? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So when he molested her, did he know she was Miss Nebraska or is just another uh, no, pretty I woman? So. I don't I don't think so. And and the issue with that one was he groped her the first time in the bar. She told him to knock it off. So she gave him a warning and he came back and did it again and then said, come on, I know you like that. Um, and then there was the case of the. Um, uh, the woman in, in Kearney, um, Janelle, who he said, <laughs> he has said that she um, called him a rapist in a bar, which she didn't do. But he basically jumped her and the players had to pull him off. And that was when he did, he actually ended up doing 10 days in jail for that. So all of this led up to the Patriots draft. Um, and and then, of course, once the um, once the Patriots cut him, uh, it took it took a while for any team to even pick him up. And then it was the New York Giants, which is what he wanted. But regardless, so, so how when, is it you get connected with the Crafts, Myra and Robert? Well, first of all, be, obviously because of what they did. But then I um, I ended up calling and telling and telling uh, Mr. Kraft, thank you. And uh, then one time, um, <laughs> then one time he, he uh, got me playoff tickets for here. Um, then finally we met. And here's what's funny about our meeting. This is when a great you say story. for here when the Patriots played Denver in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He got me great seats. Um, but what was interesting was Natalie called up and said, uh, and this was in 2011. Yes, 2011. And Natalie called up and wanted to, uh, she was working in the news and she wanted to do a story, a story on Robert Kraft as he was coming into town. They were going to play the Broncos. And um, I was jogging. And I get this call from Natalie and she says, Mr. Kraft said that he'll meet us at noon or whatever downtown. So here I run back home and I'm sweaty and I'm disgusting. And um, I jump in the car to go and meet Mr. Kraft. What I didn't know that was happening on the other side was... Um, uh, Stacy Kraft's right-hand guy, his PR person, um, <laughs> Stacy James. Stacy James is on a plane coming out here, and he gets word that Natalie is bringing me. And Stacy, to this day, will tell you he did not expect me to be coming along, and he didn't know what to expect of me. He's like, "Oh my gosh, we signed this player." She, you know, she, I bet she hates us. Like he's got all of these things in his head. He doesn't know who I am. And here I'm about to meet Mr. Kraft. And so he's thinking he's going to be fired because he, he thinks that I'm going to have whatever, some issue. Um, and he had only approved Natalie. And so I show up and Natalie shows up and we're both there at the hotel and he will say to this day, it was one of the most touching meetings that he has ever seen because we all kind of sat down, we hugged, we talked about what it was like at that time. Um, 
and Myra had just passed. And he was, he cried a lot. Um, and he kept referring to her as his sweetheart. And you could tell he was, I mean, he was obviously very much struggling. She was, she was his everything, absolute everything. Um, but it was, you know, my hope is that during that time that that filled some kind of a void for him a little bit. Um, and after that, you know, whenever they would come out, we would all get together and, and have lunch or whatever. And, um, my sons would come up and <laughs> so, um, he's such an interesting then, man. And, uh, when his wife died, yes. uh, Business shut down. So many people revered her. She must have been oh, something. Oh, yeah. She, oh, she, I mean, obviously she was a philanthropist, but everything, when when you think about them, very deeply devout religious Jewish people. Um, Robert Kraft went to Hebrew school. Her whole everything was about, um, if I, let me know if I get this right, about being a mitzvah for someone, she was all she was about that. She it's was a, about being, being a mitzvah. A mitzvah, mm-hmm. a mitzvah is a good deed. Is that what you said, mitzvah? Yeah, M- yes. Yeah, it, 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 it sort of sounds like mikvah, which is ritual bath for a woman, but <laughs> to have a no, mitzvah, mitzvah like a bar mitzvah, mitzvah is a blessing, right. and it's the right. opposite of sin. You know, to yes, a mitzvah is just a good deed. It's yes. full, it's fulfilling a commandment. Yes, and she she embodied that. So the work that she did, even around Boston, was um, really interestingly uniting Jewish and Christian um, um, groups. And Robert Kraft still does um, annual trips to Israel, and he takes Gentiles to Israel. And he gets them acquainted with Israel and with the culture and with with um, all all of that, just the richness and the history. And so um, they they truly are a couple that the the whole basis of everything was to to give back. But it was more than that in terms of when he bought the team because Myra didn't want him to buy the team. Um. But when she saw that there could be good done in the community with this team, then she okayed it. But it was only for that reason. And now um, they've had recent controversial players. Let's get current, lady. You know, Christian mm-hmm. Peters back in the day. And even Myra's been gone for quite a while. But Antonio mm-hmm. Brown, he played for a lot of teams, including New England. He just was on Tampa Bay with Tom right. Brady and started throwing off his clothes in the third quarter, did a strip yep. show, left the game, yep. and you know yep. all about it. What do you know about Antonio Brown? <laughs> um, I helped his. Um, I helped one of his victims, and um, through that entire process. So when the Patriots signed him, if you remember, she filed that day. And, that, and it became public. Is he a rapist, and, an abuser? What is he? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I have no question. No doubt in my mind. Um, when, you, when you see the way that 
he tweeted the mother of his kids on video. Um, when you listen to um, when you listen to the story of Brittany Taylor and what happened there, um, and she and I became very close. She's a wonderful person. Um, when you just you you just see it happening over and over and over again, um, and this this mistreatment, um, and not just the mistreatment, but the erratic behavior. And this, and and what I mean, we could go back into what he did the day before he did the striptease in the end. Well, zone. people can read the Daily Mail; it's all in yeah. there. But I'm wondering, how do you get involved in all this? <laughs> um, boy, you know, I with that case with Antonio Brown, um, as I said, I'm a consultant to the Patriots, so we talk through that a lot. Um. And but you've been on the periphery, so I guess people start googling about athletes involved in sexual assault and victims, and you are prominent in your organizations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been my work, and no. But keeping in mind, I took a lot of grief for ever starting an organization that dealt with athletes. I took a lot of grief. I remember being on um, it was Fox Sports. When I founded my organization, I did it out in uh, I did it out in New York City. I announced it and uh, was well covered. Robert Lipsite wrote a tremendous article, and the media flooded to my press conference. Um, but uh, I went on Fox Sports, and Drew Rosenhaus, the super agent, Antonio Brown's agent, as a matter of fact, um, called me a disgusting pig Ugh. on the air. Um, and the rest of the guys that were there on the panel, guys that we see today, were all laughing huh. at him and his outrageous behavior, not thinking. What year was that? That was uh, 1990, 1998. Boy, things have changed, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's what got me was here you have these grown adult former football player men laughing at me with Drew Rosenhaus. And here I am, this rape victim who just announced her organization to help women, and they're taking shots. Um, it was it was mortifying. It was really mortifying. And I just had to um, you know, kind of get my Irish up, get situated and battle. But um well you know it, yeah, it, it it, time kind of proves the truth. And even for somebody like me who is in the business of prosecuting rapists, I still get stunned by the level of abuse and the cover-ups and yeah. all the systems yeah. that uh, were created, like in your situation, University yeah. of Nebraska. That's what this timely new law in Colorado is about. It gives women a chance to not just go after the perpetrators, but the organizations that enable yes. it. Yep. And that's what that that piece is vital because perpetrators do not flourish without enablers. They do not. Um, they need enablers and they groom enablers, too, just like they groom victims. Um, and I, so I think that's that is vital. And that's what even Title IX is about. And so many people have no understanding 
understanding of Title IX. They haven't. And yet they're sending their kids to school and the, the, the women, the female students especially, are being conditioned to a certain behavior from boys that when they go off to college, guess what? They're going to end up like Kathy. The same type of thing. And they're going to end up at a school like Nebraska where 30 years later, we're still fighting this through Title IX. Um, we just filed, what, a 10-person Title IX lawsuit against the University of Nebraska. The Department of Justice is investigating them. Why? Because they don't take rape seriously. They never have. And, and the media around in Nebraska and in other places as well, they want access. And access means we can't upset the university or the athletic department, so we're not going to say anything. So can you imagine in Denver, let's imagine CU has a 10-person Title IX lawsuit and the Department of Justice is coming in, and the Department of Education is coming in, and they're all doing an investigation, and no one covers it. Imagine that. That is exactly what's happening at Nebraska. No one is covering it. But, but I imagine, even though they're a little diminished, the Boulder Daily Camera, the Denver Post, it would be covered in Colorado, is your point that Yes. Uh, oh, absolutely. Colorado media is more progressive than Nebraska media, which will cover up for the biggest. Uh, right. I mean, Nebraska well, football is the biggest thing around, right? Right. Well, and and thankfully. By the um, way, I've taught my dogs to bark whenever they hear Nebraska football. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but thankfully. And they're celebrating the Georgia dogs winning the national championship. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get to that point in a oh, second. Okay. But, yeah. They're on um, your bad list? Well, most schools are, to be honest with you. Most schools are because they're they're really not doing it right. So you have, let me let me back up into this. Sure. So you have, the, you have the Cleary Act and you have Title IX. They go, Cleary Act was later, Title IX was earlier. Um, what you see schools doing right now with Title IX is they lawyer up. So that so basically, Title IX is being treated like its own criminal investigation on college campuses. That's not what it's supposed to be. And Betsy DeVos did that. She made it to where you have to have clear and convincing evidence or clear and convincing as a standard of, of uh, proof where it used to be. Um, uh, help per me out. Preponderance Fred. of the evidence. Preponderance of the evidence. Yes. So. Now it's becoming much more difficult where it was what civil law is, 51 to 49 percent. Who's more believable? But now we've made it into a you're basically having a, a court case. In I'd, this I'd love to go after Betsy DeVos. And I, here, here's oh the God. thing. Title IX gets a little arcane. It's wonderful. Just uh, it, it, it holds enablers accountable and it should mm -hmm. It should work like that. But you said something that I'd like to circle back to because we talked about Robert Kraft and sports, and right. that's really interesting. And a fine Jewish couple like the Krafts, Bob and Myra. But mm -hmm. you mentioned that uh, Christianity, uh, and, and uh -huh. I've heard of that religion. I'm not a member <laughs> of it. 
And uh, I want to circle back to you. Uh, did mm-hmm. you grow up a Christian? Uh, were your parents? Yes. Were yeah. they originally from Nebraska? And Yes. Uh-huh. And they were yeah, fine Christians were... from the heartland of America? Yep. There you go. Exactly. And my dad's military, so his... um. That B-52 that's down at the Air Force Academy, he was a radar nav on exactly that plane in the linebacker mission in Vietnam. So, um, yeah. Wow. So, right. I, and, I, and I think that's great. I think that's uh, people like your parents help make America work. And I'm not here to put right. down Christianity in the slightest. No. And are you, are you still a Christian? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, honestly, my faith was significant with um, dealing with with rape and all of that. And I remember specifically uh, my mom, who is a wonderful, wonderful woman, um, going through that process. And I remember my mom looking me in the eye because I said, "Mom, this is costing so much money for you guys." I, I, you know. I'm, I was hurting for them. Um, and because they, that, you told them what happened and they stood behind yeah, you. Yeah and, they were, yeah, and they were backing me up with, um, you know, the legal fees and the costs involved and all of that and the case. And and they had to be deposed. And, you know, it, 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 it took over everything. And so I remember talking to her in the kitchen and just saying, Mom, I'm so sorry. And she um, she looked at me and she said, but honey, it's not about you. And so she, very similarly to Myra, I, I do believe that my mom is Jewish somewhere in her background. Um, wow. I, I mean, similar- on behalf of Jewish people, we'd like to take credit for a statement that wise because it it did have repercussions beyond you. Right. And yes. the Christian and Peter was, was a serial offender of right. women. And thank God you stood up. Well, and not only that, it was the first Title IX case, again, that had to deal with rape. Right. And so my mom had this this view. Right, because before then, it was just about gender equity in sports. Gender equity in sports. And that's and that was um, that was no mistake. That was crafted that way. But clever. You but, must have had smart lawyers. Mm hmm. But with my mom, it was that view of. Yeah, no, this is much bigger than you. You're just kind of the vessel. You're the conduit. This is bigger than you. Um, And had me centered on, okay, now we're talking about social justice and activism. And it really, it helped. It helped me so much to see through that lens. But that too is the Christian lens to view something. It's not about you. You esteem others as better than yourselves. You love your neighbors. You know, you love God and you love your neighbors, the Shema. Um, so, so it's that, that is the foundation of Christianity. And, and so for me, my, what has become really a struggle, not so much of faith because my faith is grounded. Um, it's the struggle that I have with other Christians that is very difficult for me right now. And it's difficult in the, in the view of women, difficult in the view of rape and abuse, difficult in the view of, um, of, gosh, recent politics. That's what Um, I want to get to. And you're so good to talk to me about this. And we could talk all night about the victimization of women, and we agree that 
this is a good cause. The Me Too movement and the fact that oh yeah, uh, abusers are being held accountable. And to me, it ties into politics because yes. people uh-huh. who would inflict that kind of abuse, they're authoritarian. And right. that's we're in a battle right now against authoritarianism, people who think that they're better than other people, that other people are lesser. And when you physically abuse somebody, you're treating them like trash, like uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell treated their victims. And it looks like Prince Andrew. And it's because (laughs) we can do this to these people because they're lesser than us. They're just women, they're young. And we're the superstars of the world. We're entitled. We're Christian Peter, for God's sakes. I could take whatever right. I want, but you can't. But now we've had a leader, our past president, who to me is a sex offender. Let's start right there. I mean, you're the expert in the field. I believe that Donald J. Trump is a sex offender. Am I right? Absolutely. And what Absolutely. do you base that on? Behavior. The number of victims. Um, the credibility of the victims. I've watched them speak. Yeah, well, I've examined their motives. Yeah. I don't take every uh, accusation at face value, but I've sized this up and I've heard his own words. And this well, guy that's, that's what I was getting at. You listen to his own words. You see who he travels with. It, it's not like, he, here's the thing. It's not like he's a, a Jeffrey Nasser that is under the radar. Like we have all seen him. And I think that's the other problem. Just like with Prince Andrew, just like, like we watched Prince Andrew get married. We watched Donald Trump on Home Alone. Like we grew up with this. So how, how can we, yeah, it's just a persona. That's just, no. see, personas do mean something. You know, it, it's a measure of your character. And so when you hear what he says, when you see his actions, um, when you look at what his really initial thing is um, with regard to Title IX, what did he bring in Betsy DeVos for? To gut Title IX. Why? Well, because men are raping women on campus, so we need to shut that down. Um, but, but you look at the, um, the, the victim statements, and here's the thing. Sex offenders have a pattern. And that pattern is really clear. I can listen to women that call and compare. I mean, I've been doing this for, what, 25 years now. And I can listen to women that call and victim statements that come in and that kind of thing. And they all read very much the same. All of them. You're talking about the accusers of Trump? Yes, I'm talking about them, but I'm talking about in general women in general women who have been victimized who i've worked with there are common threads throughout all of it and it gets to the point i mean i could i could write my own book on just this is exactly what happens when you're sexually abused because of all of these different women's stories that all sound similar you just change up the setting and you know Um, when you told what happened to you that horrible incident, it sounded mm-hmm. like E. Jean Carroll describing what Trump did to right. her in a dressing room. She had on, right. you know, it was, right. holy cow, all of a sudden he's on her, he does it. 
And it's got to be well, shocking. But, but, but the telling part is remember what he said when the accusations came out. She's look not at my her. type. Yeah. Yes. Look at her. She's not my type. That's what you're going to say? That's your response? That's that's telling. He's not just a criminal. He's bad at it. But he keeps getting away with it. And his amoral, authoritarian behavior seems to be the rage. And and that's why I'm wondering why so many Christians like this. I I will tell you why. Yes, I will tell you why. Because we have been taught that if you go back to biblical times, there was, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember King the prophet. David. No, King. it's not King David. Um, not Hezekiah, not Nehemiah. It's one of them. Um, but anyway, he was a very immoral man, very immoral man. But he did the bidding for the Jews. He protected the Jews. Um, and they're comparing him to that because... Christians, I'm going to go back to King David because a lot of people say, first of all, he was in the lineage of Jesus, right? And uh, it it all comes from the book of Abed. But David David committed immoral acts, including uh, infidelity and getting the the guy, you know, getting a guy killed so he could have his wife. He did bad things. Right. Trump Trump like behavior. But you're but thinking not, of somebody else. Right. Um, and in fact, in Israel, uh, under Netanyahu, they just, uh, when, when they were under Netanyahu, they, they had a coin that compared him. Um, mm, I'll remember. Right. Anyway. So they Anyway, no, but, but that's a nice pushback by you because the Jews, especially in Israel, who are down with Trump, it's it's kind of a Shonda for my people, too. So it's not just the Christians, but you know what I'm getting at. Is there yeah, something yeah, where yeah. they regard Trump as a biblical figure that they should follow, some kind of, dare I say, Messiah? It's sickening to think of that. I don't, well, here's the thing. It's not, it's not a Messiah thing, but it is a type of savior typecast because what it, what it, what we were looking at, remember, we came off of Obama. And so the, the culture wars surrounding Christianity, surrounding the Jewish people, because remember, Obama, the, the rumor was that he was Muslim. Remember that. I remember. That, that we all of a sudden, Trump became palatable for us. We liked Trump because... He was able to take a strong stand for Christian values. And remember, the evangelicals used him as well. That was a mutual relationship. Um, But the Christians felt like they now had a protector in Donald Trump who was after their best interest. Bringing up his character was secondary. That wasn't even an issue because it was, well, God can use anybody. God can use anybody. All right, let me now, just stop you. Agree- let me just stop you for one second because you trigger uh-huh. so many thoughts. And to me, history has told this story about, for example, systematic abuse. It happened like crazy on the Olympic team, 
Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. University of Nebraska, my God, listen to the right. Kathy Redmonds of the world. When Barack Obama emerged on the scene, I supported him, but a lot of people said he's a radical. He hangs out with yep. William Ayers and Jeremiah Wright, and there was a possibility he was radical like that. But you know what? He served eight years. He's been out of office a long time. We see that he's kind of a normal guy with the family, and he's not a radical. And come right. on now, right? But right. the people that thought well, he was but a remember radical. remember Reverend Wright. Reverend Wright came out, and then it became like he wasn't just a radical. He was like a Black Lives Matter right. guy. Right, right. So we're confronted with, with this picture of Obama as— Louis Farrakhan coming on to the right. scene. Right, and so there was an overreaction. And dare I yep. say, the one way that you can get certain Christians to fall in love with you is to say, I'm against abortion. So what if I contributed to Planned Parenthood? So what if I paid for a thousand abortions in my own life? I saw <laughs> right. the light. I saw a sonogram on a refrigerator right. of a friend. And you know what? Right. I'm going to point only pro-life judges. And he's been true to that one pledge. And my God, the Christians eat it up and it could be the end of the world because this guy uh, is not going away and it's problematic. But back to you, instead of my opinion, that's why it's wonderful to talk to you because I think you're pro-life. And not only have you been pro-life, you've lived your life that way and you've kind of been a hero in the pro-life community. Am I right? Um, I, I mean, I think that's an oversell, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've been faced with, you should abort your son and I didn't. And so, um, I think I was very much embraced by, by pro-life Republicans for that. Um, and you know, here's where I go with this, um, Like that was my, with regard to my son, I can't imagine, and I've heard horror stories from women talking about the the health issues of their their kids in utero. Um, And I've I've heard a lot of that and I can't imagine the pain that they have had to endure with that. And so I understand the, you know, it's between a woman and her doctor and all of that. Um, But I think where, what what I'm seeing right now with Christianity, uh, and I have to say the Western church, because Christian churches around the world are very different. But the Western church, the American church, we have so much here. And we have a lot of privilege here. And a lot of politics have been sewn into our churches, not just now, but during the civil rights movement. How many times did we hear from the pulpit that we should not integrate? From the pulpit, slavery. How many times did we hear from churches that they were less of a human, that black people, Africans were less of a human being? Like we, we keep hearing this and we keep making the same mistake. And that's the piece that I don't understand because to me, yes, God can use everyone or anyone. I get that. I agree with that. But at the same time, we also have been guilty of cherry picking in our church based on what's going on in politics. 
So, so if we, we would have gone back 10 years ago, Kathy Redmond, yeah. Yeah. I would have described you as an advocate for Title IX, a woman yep. who stood up to athletes who abused women. Yep. And that you were a committed Christian yep. and, and a committed Republican out in Douglas County. Yes. Yeah. Would, would that have been an accurate description of you? Yep. And yeah. so is it still accurate or where are you at these days? The, 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 the Republic, no, I became unaffiliated. Um, I, I am so, um, I'm so disturbed by the Republican Party because remember, I'm also a military brat. Um, I don't see a lot of military men and women in the Republican Party in leadership. Um, officers, and I, and I have to make that distinction. Um, well, I mean, there is Mike Flynn. He's a scary dude. <laughs> a lot of the no, original I, generals no, have but, gotten the hell away from Trump, like but, Mad but, Dog but, Mattis. Yes, yes, Mattis. Kelly. I mean, once you saw once you saw Mattis exit, you knew something was like. I felt like he was trying to hold the country together, like he was, you know, trying to manage right. kind of a madman. Right. Um. And and, and, and when he left, do you remember what he said when he left? He, the, he he said it was Nazi like tactics, deliberate yes. division of people and And that and that's to me that is the finger in the eye of every American patriot right there. And as someone who my dad went off to Vietnam, I watched his B fifty twos fly overhead with nuclear warheads on them. His part of his job during the Cold War was to fly within miles of Russia and fly home. Sometimes he was escorted by eggs. Sometimes he wasn't. And so I look at this and go, when did the Russians become our friends? When are we cool with Nazis? Like, we've fought these wars already, people. Why? What are we doing? We've fought these wars. These are not our friends. I know. And, and, and so I'm... I'm at a complete loss. I, I truly believe that in many aspects, the Republican Party has lost its mind. Um, yeah, they've, given, they've, they've given their power to a sex offender madman. Yeah, yes. I mean, there, yes, there's absolutely that. But look at the insurrection. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. It's, and it's, now we, it's, can't it's even call it an we can't call it an insurrection. It, now it was now we can. Now we're, we're starting sedition. It's getting I serious. Mean, and God willing, the courts the, will eventually lead to justice. Did the courts work out for you? Um, in my case, we settled. And I. it was, boy, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I didn't want to, but we did. Title IX, like I said, was very young. It was... Um, Nobody knew what was going to happen. And so it ended up being uh, Christy Broncala from uh, University of Virginia. She was raped. She ended up taking it to the Supreme Court. But she had she had the backing of a lot of organizations. That's the other thing that I didn't have. And this goes back to power dynamics. So many organizations left, including women's organizations, left me to hang out to dry. Because I was going up against this legendary coach and this legendary team 
and they didn't like the optics of it. So they 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 financially backed other cases. They did not back mine. Um, my parents were having to at at this time they were having to pay all the costs related to a uh, to a Title IX lawsuit, and so. I truly, I mean, <laughs> and I think about it now looking back as, you know, 23 years old, 24 years old, when all of this is actually happening in the courts. And uh, I don't have any support. The, the support that I got, thank goodness, the support that I got was from the media in New York City. Some media here, but the media in New York City. Um, but I, I couldn't really get anywhere. And uh, I couldn't get the financial backing and the support of the American Association of University Women. Uh, now, all those groups, they just kind of left me. Um, and there were even some groups. Uh, there was a group called um, the Northeast Center for the Study of Sport and Society, Northeastern University in, in Massachusetts. And they came up with a, um, uh, they were trying to get, a, a prevention program into these colleges. And um, one of the uh, the researchers there was a guy named Jeff Benedict. And so you had some of the top um, sexual abuse uh, experts, prevention experts in the country who, um, and including Don McPherson, who used to play uh, pro football, they were trying to get this, um, this, boy, I don't, prevention program into all of these universities. Right. Anyway, um, and so Jeff Benedict, their researcher, we reached out to him to help uh, to be an expert witness in my case. And they told him squarely, if you do that, you will either be forced to resign or be fired. And then that year they gave Tom Osborne the Coach of the Year Award. Um, a lot of politics. And, it, and, and the group is called Mentors in Violence Prevention, the MVP program. And Jackson Katz was part of it. Um, and yeah, it, it was absolute politics. They So there are other, and this is what I have learned also. There are other victims that are propped up and others who are not. Um, and I, I don't know who chooses that or how that is done. But um, no more has done that. And it's it is there are a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing in this industry, in this business. There are a lot of groups who um, are really not about victims and uh, are really not about ending sexual assault. And they're out for themselves. Well, that's so interesting. I, you know, just I learned that I, a long time ago. Well, you know, I went to law school, and there are uh, classifications that you shouldn't discriminate on the basis of race. It, it's strict scrutiny. But then gender mm -hmm. was a, a little less. And you wonder, right. is gender discrimination, how is it different than racial discrimination? And Ooh, yeah. But, but, but one way it is, is that you have a lot of women on the other side, whereas, you know, if you'd say, well, what about uh, rights for black people? 98% of black people would say, 
we want all the rights and we want even more and we want less discrimination. Right. For women, right. there might be a higher percentage who said, you know, things are fine the way they are and we don't right. need yes. so much yep. progress. So yep. there's always yep. some infighting has been my observation. And just going back to, I keep thinking about your victimization and blameworthy to me was the woman who said, go to Christian Peter's room. It's really cool. I, right, I bet you've right, thought yeah. about that. I mean, she's culpable. Yep. She knew what she right. was putting you in for. Have you thought about right. her? What should have happened to her? Um, you know, I have. And, um, but you know what? I chalk it up to the, the fear because what, what we found out later was that a lot of these, uh, the guys in the score felt like they were being taken hostage, mm -hmm. like they had to go along mm -hmm. with things. Um, and, you know, I, I think about the ages of people, and that's why it's so important that we, that we train up, not, not girls, because we're always talking to girls about don't get raped. But we're never talking to guys about, hey, this is what rape looks like. This is what it's about. This is why you shouldn't. This is why you should respect women. We don't do that. But um, interestingly, what you just said, um, we were talking uh, a few days ago about how my views on I would much rather in a rape case have a jury of men than a jury of women. Because of that infighting, because of that, there's a defense mechanism that, that's in play. And that defense mechanism is, I would never do what she did or make the mistakes that she did, and therefore, it will never happen to me. Boy, isn't that the truth? It's my observation when it comes to a murder in, you know, the metro area, like that right. horrible atrocity right before New Year's, the guy going around town shooting oh, people yeah. on Broadway and yes. then Belmar. You tried to say that couldn't be me because I would never be there. Well, I, I drive down Broadway every night getting home. And, right. yep. and then, or you might say, I'd never go to that part of town or I'd never be out after midnight because you don't want to think that it could ever happen to you. So you dissociate yourself. And my yep. God, I, I got to talk to one rapist who, I, I don't know, some people think he raped over 200 women, the Capitol Hill rapist, Quentin Worth, yes, and he I represented himself. So I yes. got to talk to him, and we convicted him of six rapes in Denver, and he got 376 shares from Judge Lynn Huffnagel, who called him a predator. Right. And then we had the Colorado's first DNA case uh, that was not admissible because we didn't disclose it in time. But we wanted to establish the precedent that DNA worked in sex assault cases. And venue was changed to Pitkin County. And we were picking a jury up there and he was doing his own jury selection. And during a break, I said, uh, I said, you're picking uh an all-woman jury, you're getting rid of all the men. And right. and he said, yeah, men put a value, and he used the P word. Yes. He put, men put a value on, on P, mm -hmm. women don't. That's the way he thought about it. Like mm -hmm. women didn't even care about it. It was no big deal, and I thought, gosh, what a glimpse into the mind of a rapist right there. Right, yeah. Well, and, and it, men, for the most part, you, you have a lot of men who are raped also, but 
But men that you would have sit on a jury, they put themselves in, what if this were my sister? What if this were my mother? What if this? Women on a jury do not put them this, themselves there. That's not what happens. Women on a jury picks apart the vi- they pick apart a victim and pick apart the actions of a victim. I would have done this different. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it it goes back to um, you know, women have been for a very long time, they compete for the acceptance of men. You know, if you want to get ahead in anything, there has to be a man that, you know, anoints you to get ahead. And so women have always been very competitive that way. And women have not been good about supporting other women, not like not like men. Um, but, you know, one of, and one of the interesting things that I think that people need to understand about Title IX, going back to this, is so you had a civil rights movement here in this country. And out of that civil rights movement came um, Title Title VI. So you can't discriminate on the basis of race and national origin. Um, so in part of that, in part of that, women said, hey, well, what about us? Why can't we be added to that? No, 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 no. You don't need to be added to that. We're going to give you your own civil rights legislation, your your own civil rights law. Okay. okay. And keep in mind, you have Phyllis Schlafly there that's, that's playing in the background as well. So what happens is they give us this law called Title IX. But Title IX mirrors Title VI. But it's a separate law. So what has happened is that we get Title IX, finally, in 1973, we get Title IX. Um, is it 1970? It's 73. 72. I'm sorry, it's 72. So we get Title IX in 72, and Billie Jean King is on the scene. She's part of this. Bob Devaney at Nebraska was also part of this. But it starts being reported as gender equity in sports. And so then we have Bobby Riggs versus Billie Jean King and Billie Jean King proving that in sports, she can still beat a man. That's and all, not what Title and, IX and, was and about. Depends, an old man, but keep going. Right, right. But what ends up happening is we don't know Title IX even applies to discrimination against women in educational setting to include rape and domestic violence and harassment. We don't even know it applies for another 20 something years. Until Kathy Redmond comes along and a lot of brave women who blazed the trail. And I think you've taken the power back, Kathy. I, I do. And I hope this isn't our last podcast together. You are, uh, to me, a tireless fighter, and I know you've gone through changes, but I I know you're going to stay involved too. I mean, politically, we all have. Uh, it's a new time, and I'm yeah. I'm glad you have your head on straight to uh, oppose authoritarianism, well, I, oppose bullies, right? Well, absolutely, but where I I guess for me, it's where did we lose our way in that realm? 
I know where we've lost our way in a bunch of other realms, but where did we all of a sudden just say we want authoritarians? Like we're fighting for freedom, but we want authoritarians. I, I would like, I, 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 I would sense? bring it back to what Matt has said. And and you and I agree he's smart, he's well read, he tried to keep a lid on it as long as he could. But I've lived a long time, too, and I've never seen one person so deliberately divisive. It's almost like a, yes. a Putin uh, op, right? How to get people right. fighting yes. with each other. Oh, yeah. Yes. Implemented well, through a vessel of uh, Donald J. Trump. And yes. uh, Matt has called it out. And if you can, it's not original to me. No, If you can get people to believe absurdities, you can get them to commit atrocities yes well and and on that note i was uh, out in my front yard this was around the time of um of the primary that featured donald trump in it and um i have kitty corner from my house i have a polish woman or a polish man and a german woman they're elderly um he recently passed she's 85 and um, they came by and we were talking and they said, we were talking about politics. I think I must have put a, had a sign in my yard. And they said, Kathy, we've seen this before. I said, well, what do you mean? They said, we lived in Germany and in Poland when Hitler was coming up. And, uh, and they said, this scares us because it looks like the same thing. And it really struck me because I, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of people to talk to who were back, who were alive back then to see the rise of Hitler. And they no, did. But it, right. And, and you always say, well, what would I have done? What was it really like? But isn't it more right. understandable now? And it's the media and damn Fox News, damn Denver Trump radio that echoes all this stuff. I mean, it all pales in comparison. In January 6th, an organized uh, seditious right. insurrection at our Capitol. And just like, why do I get so mad to think about somebody, three men invading your dorm room? It's the same right. way that you give protection to anybody in their own home. Right. And we had our right. house invaded, the house, the Congress, the people's right. house invaded. I felt that trauma on January 6th, like I was victim. Uh, and I was, I think we all were. Well, and, and I, and I, yeah. And I think for me to watch that as I did and to see the Trump and Jesus flags as a Christian was so offensive to me. So, uh, like, you cannot do this. It, it was so offensive. And then I thought of, I, I truly did, I thought of the Jewish people that were watching that. And I thought, man, they must be triggered. Holy smokes. Um, because yeah, the, the Camp Auschwitz guy and that Confederate flag, yes, that damn Confederate yes. flag run through there. And then the, all the excuse making. It's like the University of Nebraska. Well, it was Antifa. It was a deep state well, thing. And, it wasn't us. Holy cow. It gets and the me most, going. I think for me, the most difficult thing and the thing that I'm really I'm I'm wrestling with it. I'm struggling with it 
And I struggled, and and this is probably like a counseling session for me because I struggled with it when I was raped. But it's, I have friends who, because I was active in Republican politics. I have friends who are also active in Republican politics that are still in that realm. And I cannot understand it. These are people that I love, I respect, I admire, and I can't wrap my head around how are you still aligned with this group? I can't wrap my head around it because I know who they are at their core. And to me, this is past, we've gone past a difference in political agenda. We've gone past a difference in issues. This is now our, our form of government, our country that is under attack. And so I, I guess for me, that's, that's what I'm struggling with is that it's, it's the character of the people that, that continue on this path. I don't, I don't understand that. And that, that's been the most difficult for me, almost like, um, and I'm sure other people feel this way, that there has been a falling out even of friendships, uh, especially, you know, I have a biracial son. I, I look at all of this and I say, you are affiliated with people who do not believe that my son is is a uh, a human being deserving of rights. It's not part of America first. He's not part of make right. America great again. Because back in the day, biracial kids weren't treated that great. And we all know what that means. And yet too many of our friends still go along with that. And it's unacceptable. Well, because it doesn't and, affect them and they see it as harmless. But when I, and I, I kid you not, this happened, was walking, I was walking with my son in downtown Castle Rock. And an older white gentleman um, walks up to both of us. Again, my son is eight and flashes a white power sign at him in the middle of downtown Castle Rock and says it. And I, I, I mean, I look at this and go, is this what the community devolved into? Because I remember even in Republican politics back in the day, the time of Governor Owens, you had that element and you knew it was there. But they didn't get involved in politics. They didn't, they, they weren't around. They were fringe. They were not seen and not heard, but we knew they were around. I feel like they have been given voice. I feel like not they, just this voice. Is what, they are the right. voice. They right. are the power and in the Republican Party. The the, the mob right. has taken over. Even when Trump tries to say, take the vaccine, right. get the booster, they boo him. It's gotten out of control. I've seen it well, with audiences. Well, and like I said, Governor Owens dealt with that. There was that group. Right, that Governor but where Owens is Governor Owens now? Enough. With all due respect, Governor Owens, right. where are you speaking up against Trump now? Where are these people? And that's what's frightening, right? Because their voices mm-hmm. are nowhere in the Republican Party Well, now. and I think, and, and here's what I lament. I lament John McCain. 
Um, he was tortured by, well, in, in Vietnam, but by Trump. And yet he still stood his ground. Um, Graham was still his buddy. And once once McCain left, something something happened. It's like we lost we lost a backbone. We really did. Well, he was pretty Mc- defeated by the time he died. He stopped that one vote, but uh, the party right. was much more Trump than McCain and Trump belittled him and gosh, being the daughter of a Vietnam vet to see that happen. Yet Oh, um, it was, it's horrifying. It, it's ab- okay, and we go back to these are supposed to be pro military people. Your 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 support our troops. It, it's it's just one it's all t- types of conflict. It's all types of um the things uh, he's done to women, the way he dehumanizes oh, yeah. them with his rating yeah. system, calling Ted Cruz's wife ugly. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, horrible. Ted Cruz. Horrible. Uh, well, and it's the fact that so many Carly people Fiorina. saw it. Uh, right. And so many people saw it and said nothing. And if we know anything from history, and we're coming up on Martin Luther King Day, but if we know anything from history... It is what he said. We'll we'll remember the silence of our friends. And that's what has happened is that we're we're a country that is not like the greatest generation pulled together. They pulled together to fight the Nazis. Um, You know, we could talk about civil rights and all of that and and how any um, and I've said this often, how any black person or indigenous person uh, could have served in the United States fighting on foreign soil separately from white people is mind blowing to me. But um, you but you you have the greatest generation who for years watched their their um, sons come home killed or come home in coffins who um, rationed I mean, they rationed. The guys went over to fight athletes, too. And, you know, to to look at America now, what I see is very entitled, very individualistic. Um, it bothers me because we all should unite for something greater than ourselves. It goes back to what my mom said. This isn't about you. Um, and, and we don't do that. We don't esteem our, our others as better than ourselves. We don't love our neighbors. Um, yeah, but let's be optimistic. Look what's happened. This is the best conversation you and I have ever had. And we did it publicly. And there are a lot of good people. But some yes. people have been exposed. We need a party realignment. Yes. These two yep. political parties aren't getting it done. I'm unaffiliated. So no. are you. Yep. We're speaking out. We're going to keep speaking out. I yep. wish you the happiest New Year, Kathy Redman. And thanks for sharing all those details. I really think it's positive and it helps victims. And my gosh, mm-hmm. to help somebody through this sad experience and say, hey, you know what? I'm here to help. And in right. uh, yep. really, when you go to a woman and a victim, that's your interest. And I commend you for that. You're wonderful. You commit mitzvahs all the time. That's a good thing. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And I'm glad that you uh, called me up to have me on. We've got a lot more fighting to do. Way to go, Kathy. Talk to you soon. Thanks All for right, doing thanks. this. Bye-bye. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, if you like this show, please shout it out on your Purple Apple podcast app. It would be so wonderful if you would scroll down, spot that place to leave a five-star review and your personal review. Kind words appreciated. Thanks so much. Tell your friends. Craig. Troubadour. How are you? Shabbat shalom. Shabbat Shalom. It's a dark one. We are recording this late Friday night, and you probably skied double black diamonds all day. You know, I um, I hung out at the house with my wife and shoveled snow. Up in Grand did County. Ski, did not ski, but had a really nice day. Fantastic. You sound clear as a bell, and you are giving me a delightful time because... This American Dream is one of my favorite songs, and it fits perfectly with my show. Our show. Let's let's hear. How did you how do you segue the song into what you've got for us oh, this week? I mean, the powerful first line. You have a lot of great songs, and your openings are usually strong, but this might be your strongest because you come out with emotion. Take this house. I'm done with it. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. What's that about? Walking away. 
But a house is so important in a lot of ways, and we're thinking about it with a thousand homes lost, people in Boulder County, your beloved Boulder County, and we both love our homes, and my whole show is about a guy who had his dwelling invaded in Colorado Springs, ended up shooting an intruder, it led to a fascinating legal case, and then I have on Kathy Redmond, who had her home invaded, and she got raped by a Nebraska football player and his buddies. It was horrible. And her home at the time was a dorm room, which, you know, we all have a lot of homes, but the law gives you so much power to react if somebody comes into your territory and is going to commit a crime in your house. Whoa, the game is on, and it's the concept that your house, it's your castle. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in the home business. Let's give a tout for your business, although you're so busy. Do you still take on new clients? I do, Craig. All right, give a shout-out for it. We are Lookout Renovation. And then let That's me, my shout. <laughs> yeah, Lookout Renovation. It's amazing. And uh, you're going gangbusters. But you know the value of somebody's home, especially right now. It's cold in Colorado. It's snowing. It's good to have a home, right? Oh, it is. I mean, it's and something, as you're talking, I'm thinking how I, you know, it's something we take for granted. You know, you wake up, you have... You know, you have your 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 breakfast, you have your family, everybody's around, safe, protected, and like and it's it's kind of uh it's a must in life. And I realize that for some people it's something they don't have. I mean the fires it have got me thinking about that. I feel so bad for the people displaced, Greg. Yeah, and your songs got me thinking because you want to make the best of any situation, especially you, Dave Gunders, the optimist. And you say in your song, maybe some good will come of it. But you can tell there's a poor guy who's getting kicked out of his house and home, taking his family. It's it's horrible. But he's trying to think, maybe some good will come out of it. Right, right. They, um, I mean, that song I wrote during the it was during the recession, the Great Recession, and when so many people were losing their homes um, for to foreclosure, and you know that's. That's where he's saying, you know, don't owe nobody nothing. It's a, it's a, for him, it's a freeing event. It was tough to, to come out of, but he's realizing that maybe for now, he talks about a little house by the bay that they can rent and, uh, and with a porch and a, a place rented where he can porch, be. Right. Yeah, a rented porch, a place where he can be with his family. I mean, that's sometimes that's, that's, you know, has to be good enough. And when they listen to the song, they'll learn what happens on the porch. But you have another beautiful line in there. Apropos of right now, times are testing everyone. That's true. Mm-hmm. Boy, that line will can can echo through almost any time, huh? It's it seems like with everything we're being tested. I know, but you know what uh, stands the test of time? Our friendship, and it, isn't that what it comes down to? I'm glad you and Lisa have such a good time and got away for, you know. Being in your dwelling, it's a good feeling. I'm surrounded by my family, and let's let everybody listen to what we're talking about. This American Dream by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Thank you. Thanks, Craig.
take this house, we're done with it. Won't be no love lost, friend. Cause it ain't a life when you're under it. Gonna give it up, start again. Maybe some good will come of it. There's that little town by the bay. And on some rented porch, we'll light our torch. Laugh every time we say, Don't know nobody nothing. This American dream About a castle and a king Well there's more to the dream Than that It's more about the chance To dance your own dance Or take another turn at bat But there's So much uncertainty Times are testing everyone Doing with less for the best No more sweating under the gun Don't owe nobody nothing Selling our soul Climbing out of this disaster Like climbing up out of a hole Don't know nobody nothing Isn't that something? New England's battling in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Robert Kraft, Meyer Kraft. I did not know all that. Thank you, Kathy Redmond. That was a sensational, candid interview. We learned so much. A lot to think about, especially after Tim Bussey's interview. And then wrapping up with the beautiful song by our troubadour. He does it every time, doesn't he? This American Dream. Anyway, my dream is this all works out. I'm really concerned about America. Our own house got invaded. The people's house, the Capitol. Will there be repercussions on the people who planned it? The Oath Keepers, that's a nice start. Let's see what happens next week. Until then, have a great one. Thanks for listening. Please 
Positive ratings, those go a long way. Tell your friends, the more listeners, the more I like it. But I like you listening. That's enough for me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.